We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, but today doesn't feel that way. We are divided in more ways than one, and the media and the powers that be all have their own agenda. The people of this great nation no longer care about the truth, they only care about the side they are on. At Poor360, I am trying to change that. We're bringing you the facts and history so we can all learn something and make our own decisions. Tune in every Tuesday to be a part of that journey. Following, following the following the journey into comics. 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 Network. 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 Production. Production. Went forward in time to view alternate futures, to see all the possible outcomes of the coming conflict. How many did you see? Fourteen million six hundred and five. How many did we win? Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to Journey into Comics, the podcast that's dedicated to everything nerd. With your host, the podfather himself, Nate Phillips, and introducing his new co-host, Tyler McLaughlin. You should have gone for the head. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another episode of Journey into Comics. It's Journey into Comics 272. As always, I am your host, Nate. Today, joining me back once again, he is the star killer of all podcast co-hosts, because he'll blow your fucking ass away from eons away. Welcome back once again, the man with the plan, Tyler. Hello, Nate. Hey, bud. We've, How's uh, it going? It's good, going good. For anyone listening, uh, we're recording on Black Friday, so we've got some killer deals for you today. Um, we're going to give you some juicy, uh, discussions on Mandalorian episode three and episode four. Yeah. yeah. Plus we're going to tell a really gross story that might actually start our show just so we can settle the audience down by the end of this thing. Uh, but first of all, I, and I know we caught up off air, but let's just, uh, brief the audience. Yesterday was Thanksgiving. We survived it. How did it treat you? Uh, I actually ate, like, I mean, just to be, you know, quick and vague, I ate way less um, than I normally do, which is not characteristic of me. Um, I guess I was just so wrapped up in cooking and and napping, I didn't really have a lot of time to eat, so I had, I had one, uh, I'm sorry, I had one plate at my first Thanksgiving, I had a second helping of uh, the stuffing that I made, just a little Ooh. bit, you know, and then I ate a piece of pie, then I took a nap. And then nice. at, thanks- at Thanksgiving number two, I literally just ate cheesecake and took a nap. Man, that's a and very I- responsible decision. <laughs> and then I got home last night, and, you know, I I texted you, and I was like, I just ate nine deviled eggs back-to-back, some cheesecake bites, and I can't remember what else I ate, but... So Here, I, I got really, the text. Let me pull it up. I, I really let myself go once I got home and I was away from strangers, you know? Oh, but I mean, dude, I think that's what Thanksgiving is honestly about. You have to... I think it's... Okay, the way I looked at it, and I, and I told you this off air, is yesterday was like twofold. It was like I got overfull on food, 
And then I got overstuffed with like seeing my family and I didn't get to see my cousin for like 20 years in the sense of a Thanksgiving. I've seen him and the last time I actually actually saw my cousin was like eight or nine years ago or some shit like that. So it's been a minute. So like we got to have this like nice time with my family and shit, man. Mm-hmm. But let me just say I ate for you. I <laughs> ate for me. I ate for Joe Bob Briggs out in California. I ate for every goddamn person on this planet. I still, Stuffed myself like danger mode. And how are you feeling today in recovery mode? I actually feel really great. It was like I felt a little like I didn't want to wake up this morning and like nauseous and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And last night I had to make the decision and we can talk about it briefly. Do I stay up till two for the live debuting of uh, The Mandalorian? Because it drops at like 2.01 my time, 3.01 your time. Right. Or do I go to bed a little bit early and then just catch it in the morning and then feel refreshed? Which, spoiler alert, I was like, I'm too fucking tired and feeling sick from Thanksgiving. I need to just go to bed. So I did that. And then this morning got up, smashed out this Mandalorian episode. Great time, man. I really enjoyed Thanksgiving 2019. I do know that there are some folks out there that maybe had a bad Thanksgiving 2019. Let me just send my regards to you and hope that uh, everything's all right because it's going to be all right. It's just food. It's just family. Everything's going to be all right. Well, and uh, I want to add a little bit to that. Don't be afraid to uh, break tradition. Um, like, Skylar and I went on vacation last year with my family for Thanksgiving, and you know, we did, we, we basically did Thanksgiving away from home, and it was great, but Skylar and I have talked a lot the last couple of weeks that, at least in the near future, we're probably not going to do traditional Thanksgiving anymore, we're just going to go on vacation, because it's stressful for me, it's stressful for her, we're talking about having more babies, you got to drag babies out in the cold, you know, just because it's a holiday and there's traditions, people shouldn't have to do the things that they don't want to do. So, I think my- you told me that you're, you know, you had talked about it and uh, obviously just told the listeners here, but I, I remember when you told me your plan of like, let's just do this whole go on vacation instead. And I was like, that's actually really kind of perfect. You know, you avoid the travel. Wherever you go, you're probably going to have good-ass food no matter mm-hmm. what. I mean, and there's always going to be places, I hate to say it, but we're in this era now where all these places are fucking open all the time, man. Right. So I think it's a beautiful uh, beautiful concept, honestly. Well, and like, you know, my dad called me yesterday evening to, you know, do the, the, the usual call each other on a holiday thing. And, you know, I was asking him about his Thanksgiving plans, and he's like, well, you know, uh, him and my stepmom and my sister... They actually went, um, my dad and my stepmom went to visit my sister for, for Thanksgiving because she's in Colorado at college. So they actually all got together and instead of cooking a big meal and, you know, fighting grocery stores and all of that, they just went, uh, they went to a steakhouse and they all had, you know, some good steaks and some cocktails. And my dad said that that is the most enjoyable Thanksgiving that he's had in like 10 years. You know, you know no, di- no dishes, no. I mean, and and we all love leftovers. Don't get me wrong, folks. I'm not I'm not shitting on the leftover game at all. But like, you know, you gotta 
you got to tote all the food to each house, and then you got to you got to bring leftover containers because you're not going to steal all your relatives' leftover containers, or, or at least try not to, you know. And then you got to you got to make room in your refrigerator, and then you know not everybody likes leftovers. So, I, my I, thing. I, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say I think, you know, it's it's we're almost 2020, or it's it's almost 2020, like the. You know, the archaic idea that just because there's a tradition, you have to do it, you know, I think is, like, we need to move on from that, and people just need to do what makes them happy on the holidays. I absolutely love that sentiment, and I think that um, the most important thing is to make your own tradition. Yeah. Like, you don't have to follow a precedent set by the United States guidelines of, like, what holidays are supposed to be in, like, this, like, 1950s cookie-cutter, like, well, the the fucking Miller family's coming home for the holidays or whatever, you know, whatever shit that is. Right. Um, your family, regardless of what family that is that you've chosen, as long as you're surrounded with them, make it special. Make it mean something, you know? Right. Like, I will always look back at this Thanksgiving, and I tell you, you know, one thing... They eased my stress this year, Tyler, and I and I, you didn't get this, so you may be able to really appreciate what I'm saying. I didn't cook this year. This is the first year in like four or five years that I didn't contribute to any kind of cooking, and uh, we only made one dish as a family. We only brought one dish to each Thanksgiving, so it wasn't like we. I mean, years past, I've done the turkeys, I've got the hams prepared, I mm-hmm. fucking. Put together some sweet potato goodness, you know, like. But this year, I just didn't feel it. I was, I was like, kind of in the like holiday blues mode before the holiday, and then once we were in it, and like yesterday, I was like, man, I'm in a good fucking place. This is awesome. Like, not cooking was actually a good decision because it takes less stress off of you. It makes you feel like, oh, well, there's less to worry about. And yeah, I know sometimes people are like. But listen, man, I want the I want the family to taste the greatest fucking turkey they'll ever have, and I can cook it. So everybody's in this big circle jerk competition of who cooks the good best goddamn turkey. And spoiler alert, everybody has different taste flavors and profiles, so we're all correct right. in some form or fashion. Sorry. But Tyler's turkey might not be exactly perfect to me because he might put, like, fucking parsley on his turkey. Not my jam. I don't know if you put parsley on your turkey, but that's just a riff. No, my I I cook a turkey in the Maddie Matheson style where I just I I salt the I I dry the bird I salt the bird I don't brine it I don't do any of the bullshit and then I roast that fucker at four hundred and fifty degrees for two and a half hours and it's done it's perfect it's crispy on the outside and it's moist on the inside and it's fucking tasty. That sounds absolutely amazing. I've never thought to do a bird like that. My route as we venture into a little foodies watching movies tangent here. Uh, <laughs> my route has always been like with the bird I put, and you guys are going to be so grossed out by this, but this is the genuine fucking truth. So I will clear the bird all the way out, you know, get out all the guts and all the extra shit you're supposed to do, obviously. But then I will stuff that bird with every kind of vegetable that I can get my hands on that works Mm -hmm. with turkey. So all your different colored peppers, onions, mushrooms, you know, the whole fucking shebang. Sometimes I'll put like a a whole fucking leaf of rosemary in there, like a Mm -hmm. fucking stem of rosemary because it really just freshens the bird. But then, and this is where I'm going to gross you all out. A total of four sticks of butter are used on my turkeys every year. 
That's fair. Two, two are in the inside with those vegetables, just really helping permeate those vegetables and give them a buttery goodness. And then I have one uh, full fucking stick of butter under each wing. Fuck yeah. And it comes out literally off the bone. It's all, it, You don't even have to carve it. It just falls off the bone. It's the way to do it. Hell yeah. It makes it it makes it for easiness. So anyways, I didn't do that this year. It was a year off, which I enjoyed. It, like I said, it refreshed me and shit. But while at Thanksgiving, now I'm going to ask you this question. It sets up a thing for me. You know where I'm going with this. Did you have any interesting stories you learned about during your Thanksgiving? Um, You know, personally, no, other than you messaged me um, yesterday while we were, we were kind of setting up uh, our itinerary for the show like we normally do. And you're like, hey, I have this story to tell you. You cannot let me forget to tell you. And I think I used the word must in all caps. You must yes. remind me. And, and and it's something involving a pig and an exercise ball. So yeah, okay. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm really interested to see where this goes, especially because my feet are uh, resting upon an exercise ball as we speak. You might not want that to be the case after you hear this story, so let me break <laughs> okay. it down for you. So uh, I really – V's mom has a pig, mm-hmm. right? And it was supposed to be a little pot-bellied pig, not supposed to grow or get any bigger. If you keep it to the regimented diet, right? right? But everybody that comes to the house feeds the pig something because everybody's like, oh, you can feed a pig anything. The pig will eat fucking anything. It'll eat fucking pig. Like, it's not a joke, you know? Right. So, also yesterday, V's mom hosted Thanksgiving, Okay. So two days ago, that would have been the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, Wednesday early, like, I don't know, probably 9 or 10 in the morning, V is walking upstairs, and she hears a scream, and then immediately hears her mom start crying. And I'm like, wow, where's this story going? Like, I don't know what's happening. And apparently, her mother had walked into the treatment room where she uh, does her massage therapy for uh, her job. And the pig had gotten in there, and this pig is like four times the size that he used to be. Right. And much to your prediction, the pig, in fact, did fuck this exercise ball. But that's not the worst part. Okay. The worst part is that he came all over it and then rolled the ball all over the room. So the entire room, apparently, was covered in musty pig cum. Hmm. Hmm. Which, obviously, that's like the most disgusting thing, but apparently the smell was so foul that Veronica, and I quote, said, I actually considered jumping to my death. I wanted to die. (laughs) Well, um, due to my uh, extensive background in in all things, uh, I have experienced musty pig semen, so I know the smell. Um, oh, very I don't, well, thankfully. very well, and it is it is uh, it is potent, <laughs> and um, I, I feel bad for all parties involved there because. But I mean, he came on it, and then he just rolled it around in the room after he came on it. Well, yeah, he it's like put... it's like um, it's like snuggling after after sex. You gotta you gotta nudge that ball around the room, kind of thing. You oh. know what I mean? 
Oh, he was love. He was giving it some love, and yep, he wasn't trying to make it look like Randy Marsh after not having the internet for twenty four <laughs> no. hours. Spook- spooky ghost. <laughs> it was a spooky ghost, Sharon. A spooky ghost. <laughs> so, anyways, that was the like most disturbing story I heard during my Thanksgiving. God damn! I mean, that's uh, that's, luckily- that's a hell of a Thanksgiving uh, story. Luckily, it was after we were done eating and after most of the other parties, the people had left the house. So we were just like mostly to ourselves. But man, that's awful. (laughs) All I had to say is luckily I didn't have to clean it up or know it. I have to help clean it up. V couldn't clean it up. She wanted to jump to her death, apparently. I, I, I would have paid someone else to come clean it up. I would not have cleaned it up myself. Ugh. If that Ooh. if that if that puts it in perspective for you, I would not have cleaned it up. I would have paid someone else to do it. Damn, that does actually put it in perspective. Holy shit, <laughs> that's gross. I'm about to just like puke to death just now. Well, so anyways, let's jump away from nasty pig splugey, and um, <laughs> that's the name of a band for sure. We are the nasty pig splugey. Uh, Maybe the experience at the end of that, I don't know. But anyways, uh, since our last time speaking, which Tyler, spoiler alert, you weren't on last week's episode. You had the week off. You were feeling a migraine. And of course, of all the people, part of the network to sympathize with a migraine, I'm the king sympathizer with you. So I said, you stay down, lay down, get out. Yeah, I, I, I pretty much right after you mess, like right after we discussed... Uh, me having to take uh, take a, a timeout or a fucking injured reserve day for the show. I pretty much went to sleep right after I messaged you. So Damn. I needed it. He was on the PUP list, physically unable to perform. Mm-hmm. He was down. He was injured. <laughs> so anyways, since the last time you and I have spoken... Not one, but two episodes of The Mandalorian have dropped. We had both, that juicy... They're both fantastic. Absolutely, and we're going to dive deep into those today, so obviously spoiler warnings abound in the head and plenty. We don't know where this is going to go off the rails because we're going to be talking Star Wars, and you guys know how we get. Listen, last time you and I did this, we had Brando. It was a phenomenal conversation, so I'm excited to see what your thoughts are on how they built a story... Since we last left the story. Say that again, you cut out, I'm sorry. Oh, I said, I just, I'm interested in knowing what you think of the actual progression of this story now that we are a little bit deeper and actually 50% through the story. I I feel like with episode three, and and obviously like you said, we're going to talk about both of the episodes uh, in detail, but I feel like with episode three... Um, you know, we got a lot in a short amount of time, and I feel like with episode four, it doubled down on, um, you know, basically everything that we got in episode three. You know, when you and Brano and I discussed uh, episodes one and two, we talked we talked about how I I was super excited to see Bryce Dallas Howard's take, um, on Star Wars, and I wait no more. And I will say, uh, after watching it this morning, while everything's fresh, um, I think that I think episode four was good. I think that uh, 
the writing and some of the dialogue was a little bit not as as high a, uh, as high a caliber as the first three episodes. Um, which you know, like the first episode didn't have a lot of dialogue, so it, it it's kind of subjective and it's it's kind of hard to articulate. But I feel like episode three is the best one that we've got from the series so far, and I think episode four is right behind it. Um, you know, but episode two is right there, right right in there too. I, I will never of any major uh, show that I, you know, kind of review or critique, I will never put the pilot as one of the best episodes ever because there's so many unknowns, there's so much hype, you know, there's so many emotions and and you're not you're not really looking at it through you're kind of looking at uh, a pilot through rose-colored glasses. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So, um was the pilot of the Mandalorian great? Absolutely, it was fantastic. Um most pilots are not the best episode in the series. So two, three, and four are all kind of right there, neck and neck. It, it's it's tough to say. So I think I know why the writing threw you off in episode four, and uh, I'll get into that uh, by saying I think that it really was more trying to set up everything while still keeping the story moving forward. For sure. So I think there are a lot of plot things that we line out. We get new character. I think she's going to have a little deeper role in this later, even though it doesn't seem like it. I feel like we're going to have, uh, um, you know, uh, we're going to have some more reveals later. I think that this episode also sets up what the Mandalorian is realizing he's going to have to do in order to really protect the child. Mm-hmm. And that sets up things. So it's a lot of like in the future momentum while still setting up a story. And another little slight critique of episode four, not to say it was bad by any means. I love the episode. It did kind of do a less stellar job of giving you an actual time frame of how long some events have taken. And there was actually a blink and you'll miss it line where he had said it had been a couple of weeks. They were in this one location, which we'll get into in just a second. Mm hmm. I, I will say, um, you know, a, a, just as far as how the season is going so far, you know, we've got f- we've got four episodes. They're all fantastic. I've enjoyed all of the, um, at least what I can critique of the the directing. Uh, I, I I think the writing is top notch. Just not not super great in episode four, just because you know some of the choppy things that that I complained about when we when we did the episode one and two back. I think that's kind of uh, amplified in episode four because of some of the things that you just highlighted, the time jumps that aren't really necessarily talked about, uh, weird dialogue at weird times. Um, but I think with episode three and episode four, before we start diving into episode three. One thing that we need to remember as fans is not only is this basically a brand new story in the Star Wars universe, it's it's plucking and pulling threads from all these existing stories and you know, you've got to deal with canon and what legends material or expanded universe material you can pull in, you know, blah 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 blah, the list goes on. But the little plot threads that we're not picking up, that they're setting up especially with these last two episodes, I think won't fully be realized until season two. So just wanted to throw that out there. No, I absolutely, I I appreciate and agree with that. 
so to to jump backwards into episode three to dive into the episode of the child and where we were to where we're going in short and we'll kind of talk about what we thought about this whole episode and everything so uh this episode was pretty much focused on the mandalorian bringing the child back to this imperial outpost that is kind of like a um just a, a cell that is left of the empire you know pretty much uh werner herzog's crew of bandied fucking stormtroopers mm-hmm. ye bandied stormtroopers getting ready to you know do whatever so mandalorian makes a decision he's going to follow through like he's always done keep the code however one thing to note is he starts asking questions and he's like, what are you guys going to do with it? Like, what's your plans with this thing I have just procured and am handing over to you? Cause it seems kind of innocent and it doesn't really know. Mm-hmm. And it kind of seems like fucked up that you guys are just going to do whatever with it. Right. And I want you to take me through kind of the back half of the episode and like, what were your thoughts on how his mind plays out where the Mandalorian goes and then his decision to just kind of, like, change course. Well, I feel like, I mean, we we really, really, and, and we don't have a lot of um, a lot of information to go on, but I think that we, to talk about this episode and the following episode, we really have to focus and highlight the flashbacks that we've had in the first couple episodes of, you know, the the battle scenes, which we assume that it takes place on Mandalore. I don't think so. Um, but, you know, you've got Separatist battle droids just murdering people, uh, killing his parents. You don't know who saves him. You know, it's implied, obviously. Um, but I feel like with things that we figure out in Episode 4, those flashbacks paint, or not necessarily paint... Um, it, it, it totally defines this character who he is. He is someone who was uh, basically rescued as a child and then given a purpose in life. And after turning over the um, the little baby Yoda, the, the child, to the Empire, the remnants of the Empire, which he's obviously not a fan of, you know, um, he... There, there's These are imperial a, credits. There's a there's a moral quandary there where I am doing my job. I have a code to follow, and that is cut and dry. This is not right. I made a mistake by giving the child uh, to the empire, and you know we have the, the I I think the whole sequence of him uh, receiving the best car that that. Uh, that emotionally crushing scene where the child is being taken away and it cries for him. Oh you know? yeah, Doctor Pershing is taking yeah. the little baby away. And it's God, like, I'm, I'm, it fucking kicks you right in the dick, man. And then you know he gets uh, a full new set of Beskar armor. There's the the interaction with the rest of the Mandalorians. We get uh, some. We get Fa- Favreau doing some awesome voice acting. You know. Um, Wait, Favreau As, did voice acting? Yeah, the the big um, Paz Vizsla, the big Mandalorian with the Gatling gun that tries to take his helmet off. Yeah, the heavy. Yeah, that was that was Favreau. Wow, that was a that's a really awesome little cameo catch. That's a nice place to put him. Awesome. 
It was uh, the the thug that the Mandalorian slammed into the bar in the first episode. It was him wearing the armor, but it was Favreau doing the voice acting. Nice. That's wild. Yep. yep. I, I really, really appreciated that because it was subtle, and I didn't notice it until after the episode when I saw the credits roll um, and then did a little bit of digging after that. But, you know, you get the interaction of... Uh, the Mandalorian, which we have his name now. I just don't remember it. I'll have to pull it up. It's like Rin. Um, it's Rin something. But, uh, but. Um, uh, he almost got his signet, by the it's, way. It's you should Din, that. It's Din Jaren. That's his name. Did that's they his... reveal that in the show and I missed it? or No, it's just like the studio has revealed it and then it hasn't. It hasn't come up in the show yet. But okay. so he brings the best card of the tribe. You know, they are like flabbergasted with, with this whole uh container of best card that he's got. They're gonna they're gonna pimp his ride. They're gonna make him a whole new suit of armor. Um other the foundlings are gonna get armor. Uh he's gonna finally get his signet, which is gonna be a mud horn, which is the critter from episode two that had just about killed him. And he turns it down because it wasn't an honorable kill because the 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 child helped him. I mean, because otherwise he would have died. You know, mm-hmm, correct. Let's, he would not let, have survived that moment. No. Let Let's just lay that out there. The the vibro the the mud horn was not going to run itself through on that vibro knife and die. Um, so they make him a badass suit of armor. We get an awesome interaction. I really love um, um, Carl Weathers in the series so far. I'm really glad that. With episode three, we got to see some more of that character. He's doing a fantastic job. And he's like, hey, man, I'll take you to the the Twi'lek uh, massage parlor. I'll get you hooked up there. I'll get you some good booze. Like, man, just let this thing go. And he can't let it go. And then he and, even asks Carl Weathers' character, which I think is Grief Cargus. Yes, that's, that's his name. What are they gonna do with the child? He he again he goes back to it, and then we get the whole that's against guild code. So now you know that Mandalorian is kind of tiptoeing like this fucking guild is starting to piss me off. They don't have a lot of offers. The offer they gave me is shady. It kind of right. made me look like an asshole in front of the Mandalorians, because if you'll remember when he's back in the in the armory, they are asking, like, what did you do to get this? Right, because what, it's... Im- what did you have to do to get this much Beskar steel? It's got the Imperial Code. This is from the yep. Purge. And it's like, oh, man, they're calling him out because there's no honorable thing the Empire has ever done, and they know it. Correct. Ugh. And then, I mean, we don't need... I don't think we need to break it down scene for scene, The at least the, the first half of the... Um, uh, him actually rescuing the child, but it is one of the best, like, just, I mean, it's it's one of the best, like, real-life fight scenes in Star Wars ever. Yes. You know, you know it's, it's, not, it's not a Jedi just mowing people down with a lightsaber. It's not Han Solo running through the Death Star with Chewie just blasting people. This is tactical, it's calculated, it's thought out, and the Stormtroopers, we get to see the Stormtroopers in a little bit better light than we normally do because, you know, there's a couple times that he gets shot and his brand new Beskar armor saves him 
Um, so the stormtroopers aren't always missing. And, and that's something that I've really appreciated. And that's something that the fan base appreciates because, Absolutely. I mean, these, like, they're not just thugs, they're soldiers, you know, they're trained, they're, I mean, it, it's, a, it's like any soldier in real life. They're not, they're going to, they're going to hit what they're aiming at, you know? Um, and, uh, you know, it's almost like a scene from John Wick or Taken or, or, um, you know, any of those really well done action movies where every single move that he makes is calculated. We get uh, some awesome uh, conclusion to foreshadowing that was made while he was in the armory with the whistling birds, which I really, really loved. Yeah, that um, was awesome. Yeah, I mean, it was fantastic. And then, you know, we get the climax where basically. The, the scene where once he takes the child and then every uh, tracking fob in that bar lights up at the same time, that is one of the most unique and well-done scenes in any modern media I have ever seen, ever. Absolutely. That moment was sick as fuck because it's like, it's kind of got that old westerny vibe. Yes. While also maintaining the trueness of being this like modern space epic because he's walking through the town and, you know, he'd even another thing to mention that he he asked Grief Karga, he says, how many of those fobs did you hand out? <laughs> and he says, and he says, every single person in the bar has one. And he's like, not really joking there. Every person in the guild has one. One is trying to locate the child and... Now here it's going, and everybody's getting a beep because it's just walking through the middle of town. Oh, yeah. Like, motherfuckers, what are you going to do? I I just want to say, just so we don't say it every every episode and then, like, beat the dead horse, this show is so Western-influenced, it's almost sick because... If this sh- if you removed all of the sci-fi elements of this show, it would be a western, 100%. I love it. You know, it doesn't change episode 4. I hope it doesn't change the rest of the series. I hope they keep this western influence because it's one of the best genre mashups I've ever seen. It it, it just feels natural. You know, it's not being forced. The sci-fi isn't being um you know, thrown on us. the The Western influence isn't being thrown on us. It's just all happening happening naturally, and it just feels good to watch something like that. My thing too is, <clears throat> Favreau has such a way about him of paying his respects to things he loves. Mm-hmm. You do see a lot of. I mean, there. It's just. It's okay. This is a prime example because we're right in the scene, and I'm and I'm really glad we're kind of talking about the Western thing for a minute. Not to again, like you said, literally beat this dead carcass of what used to be a horse to death even more than it's already been beaten to death. But right, there is something, and I, I can't I can't tell you what movie specifically it makes me think of, but it was the camera cut of him walking in the middle of the of the street. And then the immediate pan to like the bar, but instead of it being everybody's face realizing that he's there, it was all the fobs going off that just like it was, and we were kind of already talking about it, but it was, it was like the perfect transposition of here's a Western done in this style. 
Right. And it was it it just hit me. It was like God, this moment is just a a holy shit moment, man. Because well, now, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, you go I, ahead. I was just gonna say real quick the 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 what really does it is it's it's like it's multi sensory. So you're seeing, you know, all the people in the bar pick those fobs up, and you see the light blinking. But that sound of the fob, the tracking fob actually beeping, is so unique and it's so original. We've never heard that sound in Star Wars before. So Cor- now, correct. N- now every time we hear that sound, we know what the hell's going on. And every time I hear that sound, I'm going to remember that scene in the bar when every one of those fobs starts going off at the same time. Well, and how subtle and brilliant are they that they started this series with that noise? Yes. The first thing we hear is that noise, and here we are again. And that's why I think it was so impactful, too. Because, again, you heard that everybody has one. Now you kind of are actually seeing it's not just a bluff that he was saying everybody has one. Literally the whole guild has one. Mandalorian's like, what are you going to do, motherfuckers? I'm walking through your town. And then it's, again, here we are at the Western Talk, the showdown. Mm-hmm. Head to head. Grief Cargus, the Mandalorian. And Who's whole- going to fucking bluff? And a whole army of goons. I mean, because you've always got to have... a whole army have, of goons. You always have to have the army of goons in a Western. And, you know, I loved this moment of heroism where it's, you know, the odds are absolutely astronomically stacked against him. Even though he is a Mandalorian, there's no way you can outshoot all of the bullets. It just doesn't right. happen. Uh, and he's fucked, but he doesn't care. He's going to go down honorably and do his best to protect this child because that's what he's realized he has to do. Mm -hmm. And this really beautiful moment of like, you know, at first he is kind of fighting him and trying to get a couple shots off and things are looking really, really not good. Uh, in those moments, he's, uh, uh, you know, he's trying to figure out like, okay, I literally can't do anything right now or I'm going to be absolutely screwed. And uh, he says, all right, what I'm going to do is this. I am going to keep the kid in this little like, I I can't even think, I'm trying to think of what it's called. That's why I'm stalling here, folks. Sorry, but it was that little, it was like a land speeder. It was was for stuff, but it was just for stuff. It was like like a a material cart. Yeah, it was like a transport speeder, material cart thing. So he's like, uh, we're pretty much toast, but I'm going to try, get some shots off, you know, make magic happen. And he doesn't have to, bro. This is the way. Man, that I just want to pause for a second because the scene of, you know, everything's happened. He's holding his own. He's basically got like a small fortified position. You know, he's got the flamethrower going. He's got the pulse rifle going. He's blasting fools, disintegrating them, lighting them on fire. Um, you know, he is 100% holding his own against an army of goons. And when all hope is lost, the, 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 like the quick shot of him laying above the, the child and the child opens its eyes... And he, like, you you can't see the expression on his face, but you can feel it. Like, sorry, kid. I did what I could. And you see that fucking rocket fly above him. Man, and it just fucking hits you right in the emotions because 
the tribe obviously does not accept him fully because, you know, spoiler alert, he may or may not be a naturally born Mandalorian, um, which is why I said the the flashback stuff is so important. And we'll talk about that a little bit here in a minute in episode four. But, you know, that just, I mean, that fucking rocket, the contrast of that white, hot-ass fucking rocket flying over top of him and smacking that goon, and then the music changes, and then it all just amps up because the whole tribe is out from underground, and they are standing by the person who they now realize is doing the right thing. And that, that, that whole, that fucking moment was incredible. And, uh, there's one line of dialogue in particular as they are helping him. And I think it's not, it was, I think it was kind of deep into the fight. It's him. And I'm pretty sure the heavy, he goes, yep. Hey, you guys are going to have to relocate now. And I, we, I just fucked this up for you. And he, this is the way like, this is the right move, dude. You are making the right call. This is what we have to do if we're going to stand apart in this galaxy. Because if we lay complicit to the Empire's schemes, we are just another fucking Boba Fett. Yep. And I think, spoiler alert, two things. One, I think Boba Fett is going to be the person that saved Mando. You think so? It's not going to be an... Old, it's not necessarily going to be an old Boba Fett. It's going to be maybe a, in the younger part of the timeline because this guy, you know, think about it. Boba would be like in his mid-40s or so when we're in Jedi or whatever. Mm-hmm. So in this only five years or so after. So go back and this guy is not super old. He's, you know, been a kid. No, you know, he just talked about being a kid or whatever. I honestly think it is very possible that this is, um, there's a moment in the earlier saga, maybe just before A New Hope or something where... This all happens, and or wherever in the timeline it you think it's supposed to happen. A young Boba Fett before he is who the man he becomes saves this guy, this kid, because he's a loner because his dad was killed. He just watched this kid's parents get killed, and it's it's survival mode. He saves this kid, brings him to the guild. He starts learning the ways of the Mandalorians. And then you, when you have the reveal that Boba saved him and he's also kind of looked at as this like bad example, I, f- I just feel like they're trying to set that up at some point. There's this dichotomy coming. The only, the only uh, like thing that I would say might not, that might not work is Dave Filoni wrote uh, Boba Fett and Jango Fett into the story as not Mandalorians anymore. In, in the Clone Wars, because if you've watched Clone Wars, when Obi-Wan Kenobi goes to Mandalore to do all the stuff with the, the Duchess and, and pre-Vizsla and all that stuff, um, Obi-Wan asks, uh, I don't remember the, the character in the story's names, about Jango Fett, and he says that he was just a common bounty hunter wearing Mandalorian armor, and he wasn't actually a Mandalorian. So... That's the only thing, like especially with Filoni being involved, I think that might be tricky. But I love it if if they decide to include Boba Fett and just not Jango Fett. You know what I mean? Yeah, 
Yeah, I think it, I think it'd just be an interesting little tie to the story because I do feel like there are some Disney Plus fans, Star Wars fans, and what have you that are expecting at some point Boba has to make more than just some bullshit appearance. Right. Uh, he, he's got to mean something to the story because the only reason every fucking person, no offense, is so into the Mandalorians to begin with are because their original love for him, Boba Fett, who was right. the first character we saw in that armor. Correct. So uh, the Mandalorians make their stand and keep Mando and the child safe, and then they dip out. They peace out, man. They get off the planet. After blasting uh, uh, Grief Cargus in, in... I really love... Because, you know, that's classic Western, too. Like, you shoot the you shoot the bad guy or the, the hero gets shot, and he just happened to have something in his pocket that stopped the bullet, you know? So, oh, I'm yeah, ex- it was the Beskar Steel, right? Y- yep. I'm excited to see his character make a return. Um going forward but but like the end of the episode we get two we get a little bit of comedy but we also get like two incredibly important scenes like you know we get him and and the child flying away in the razor's crest you we get the heavy mando uh giving him the salute and taking off with the jetpack uh we get the little bit of comedy with him saying i've got to get me one of those um you know, which I, I don't know about you, but I lost it when he said that. Um, yeah, that was awesome. Especially with, with some of the teaser material before Disney Plus dropped, we saw a scene with him wearing a jetpack. So uh, I'm excited for that. But we also get the, the really cute scene of him giving the ball off of the the knob back to the child. And I mean, we've, we, I've talked about all the things emotionally that kicked me in the dick that got me as a dad, like no kid, you can't have this. It's not a toy. A couple hours later, here you go. You can have it. And it's just, and I think that moment was, and you nail it, you know, the, the hit getting hit in the feels because it was the moment of like, as a dad, if you're, if you're watching your kid and you don't want him to do something, usually you say, don't do that because either it's going to damage something that's irreplaceable, it's going to damage them, which is irreplaceable, right? Or, or it just sets a bad example as a parent, letting your kid be an asshole in that way. So you know something as mundane as this kid playing, trying to get the get the knob off the gear shift or whatever, uh, in the earlier part, and then he is like, "I'm so fucking glad that we are safe together in this moment." I need you to have this so you know that what you did earlier, it was just, again, me trying to protect you. It's all in protecting you, child. And that was, like you said, it just dick kicker. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, yeah, ultimately, I loved, without a shadow of a doubt, this episode. Episode three was... It, again, right up there. I don't. I don't. This. This might be so far the most perfect series of a show ever. The episodes aren't so. too long, and they're ultra impactful every time. They make every moment mean something, and that means something that they thought that out enough to be like that. Well, and like I said, you know, we there are so many little nuanced things that we're not seeing that are going to be impactful season two, season three, however many seasons this show goes, which I hope it goes a bunch. Um, you know, there's so many things that we're not seeing that are going to mean something later down the road. So, 
I love it. Episode three is one of the best episodes of television I've ever watched. Hands down. I absolutely 100% agree with you on that. So episode three leaves us, you know, and and it was really cool because it was this moment of the of the great beyond and not knowing what is coming next because they fly off. And you, you had this really cool, again, it's a Star Wars moment where they're flying out of the galaxy and it's like really cool. Oh, we're still in a space story. I didn't forget. <laughs> and so coming into episode four, we know they have to be finding a location to go to. They got to lay low. And at some point, they got to figure out how to, uh, you know, uh, protect themselves, the kid, and realize that every person in the guild isn't every bounty hunter, and there are more people probably coming after this child. I think this episode, episode four, while there are some flaws we've already slightly discussed in, uh, lack of um, giving us full notation of how long things took. Like I thought it was very bizarre in this episode. They trained some folks yeah. and the training montage is like, did they literally learn all of that in one singular afternoon? And I mean, sure. Very good professional bounty hunters teaching. You might give you a chance, but not everybody's going to be that good. So anyways, let's dive into episode four, which was titled sanctuary. So the one big question I have uh, before we before we take the plunge is um, at this point, you know, at the end of episode three, we got no climax or, or no um, closure on what Werner Herzog's character, his whereabouts are. Um, I mean, we, we got to see Dr. Pershing, obviously, in the 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 rescue of the child, but Werner Herzog is nowhere to be seen. So, you know, who knows what happens with him and Dr. Pershing, what with their characters moving forward. And now, so all those tracking fobs lit up for the child. Moving forward, does the Mandalorian now have a bounty on his head? I would say probably yes. Absolutely. And just in that one tiny second you're talking about Werner Herzog I have a thought on that and I, I'm glad you brought it up I think I know what's about to happen okay and if they pull this off properly you're gonna I, I know and understand their reasoning of timing their schedule not just because uh Rise of Skywalker is coming out on a Friday but also because it's going to help to narrate that story a little bit further and you've got so many people invested in the Mandalorian right now mm-hmm. honestly Warner Herzog and those remaining troopers are going to be um, answering to a young Snoke, in my opinion. Okay. And who's going to be just in the early phases of getting the First Order uh, to its full power. And I think that the whole idea is Snoke knows that the Yoda species is very powerful in the Force. They're very special. And we've never had a dark Yoda species Force user. They're always light, as far as we know. Well, let me ask you this. Just to speculate on the actual child itself. Sure. You know, it, it, it's pretty much all but confirmed that Dr. Pershing is from the, the Camino cloning facilities. Are they trying to abst- extract something from a clone? Is this a clone of Yoda, and that's why, um, you know... Somebody took him, and now they're trying to get him back. Or do you think this is actually just a species, a child of that species? Because there's a lot of speculation that 
it's already a clone of Yoda. Well, I, I don't know if I broke this down when we had Brando on. So if I already said it, just like cut me off and tell me to shut the hell up. We already talked about it. People don't want to hear me ramble the same thing. But I kind of think that we sort of have an answer in just looking at the unanswered questions that the tr- the original trilogy slash the prequels gave us. And in the prequels, when you look at Phantom Menace, there is another Yoda species in the universe. It's the first Yaddle. time Yaddle, correct. We'd ever seen a secondary quote-unquote Yoda. And she goes from existing in Phantom Menace to literally never heard of, never talked about, nothing. There's no, it was just like a one-and-done moment, okay? Yeah, she stepped down from the council. Why would she do that? I mean... Love child, gotta be... Right? It just makes the most sense. You, maybe, you know, Yoda and her were realizing that they were going to be extinct, and if they didn't do something, their species was going to be... Because Yoda's a very pragmatic person. He wouldn't just be like horny, he's not like horny Yoda... You know, like, mm, bang you, I will, you know? Or, or like, may- maybe it would be Horner Yoga Yoda, we just don't know. With an exercise ball. Yeah. Oh, no. Oh, no. Musty Yoda come. Why? Stop. <laughs> oh, that's good shit. Yeah, uh, I, for- I forgot I forgot that we discussed it um, when, when you and Brando and I did the the first two episodes I couldn't remember. Um, yeah, no, and uh, it just to me that kind of makes sense. But when you brought up, I, I wanted to close on this. When you brought on the idea that it could be a clone of Yoda, that has interesting implications because that means someone got close enough to Yoda to extrapolate DNA without him being aware. And there are several different moments that could have happened possibly. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of people around him who were secret. I mean, a fucking hair off of Yoda's old ass head that the Chancellor Palpatine took. You know, right. he was dealing in Camino. It all literally could make absolute sense. And the timeline with how old this species is. I mean, it also makes sense that Yaddle had him as that age too, again, with the timeline. So I don't know, man. It's it's blowing my mind that I'm still unsure. So episode four opens up to, like, this really tranquil, like, farming scene. Essentially, this community of people are farming these these krill or these big prawns or shrimp. They're blue. It's vibrant. It's really, it's like a really cute, feel-good mo- or moment. And then these um, raiders, these, like, dog-headed people that I, I'm not... See, I'm, I'm a super Star Wars nerd, and I'm not familiar with this race or this species of aliens, so I can't really comment on that, but their fa- their heads look like bulldogs. Um, I think that with the subtitles on, they were called Flanians or Finians or something like that. It was an F-I-A-N at the end, weird spelling word. I'm looking Flanians. it up. Flanians, Floinians, Florians. Uh, Floypians. I said it three or four times when I was watching the episode because I was like, I'll forget that. If I should have wrote it down. Should have wrote it down. Should have wrote it down. And the uh, R&D department's doing a fantastic job this afternoon. Thank you, R&D department, for doing our lookup duties as we venture through this Journey into, pod- Journey into Comics podcast. Flanagans. Floripians. Flippity doo da zippity day. I'm looking. 
Platoonians. Platoonians? K-L-A-T-O-O-N-I-A-N-S. Platoonians. Platoonians. Yeah. I don't know why I thought it was an F. Platoonians. Yeah, I should have wrote it down. Well, you were close. Yeah, the last three letters. Yep, yep, you got it. You were real close. <laughs> Yay! Give me but, a gold uh, star. But you know, we see, we see them do like a quick smash and grab to steal basically all of the the villagers' harvest, all their their krill and whatnot. Um, and you know, we don't really have a lot of stuff to go off of other than that. Like they just raided in and out, bang, bing, bang, boom, they're gone. Um, and then the Mandalorian lands on that planet and heads to a bar. I'm pretty sure the planet is Planet Soren. Yeah. And I'm trying. There's so many words and names to remember from this episode too. Um, they land on. He lands on the planet, and because he and the child are in the Razor Crest, and he's looking. And he's like, Soren, it doesn't have any major ports. It doesn't have really any commerce. It doesn't really have anything. Mm-hmm. And it's like it's like a deserted planet. It's perfect for us. Like, let's go there. He goes into this little bar area or this diner, I guess is what you'd call it. Uh, and the child, he told the child to stay put. And that re- really doesn't work out. They do, they do a really goddamn good job of getting the child to be a child, and not listen to a fucking word the parent says. Because like, it's it's stay. like when I walk, it's like when I walk into a room and I tell Ruby, "Hey, hang out here real quick. I'm gonna go grab your shoes, or I'll go grab your blanket, or whatever." And I turn around, and she's right behind me. What part of uh, "stay put" did you not hear? <laughs> probably the "stay" part. <laughs> put shoes on, okay, Dad. Put shoes. That's what we're doing. Is that what you yep. were saying? Yep. Or are you sick of putting up with me? Oh, is that what you were saying? <laughs> so, so he goes to the bar. He's having like a like a, I don't know, kind of a, a funny exchange with like a waitress or a bartender, and we see uh, Gina Carano's character just kind of hanging in the corner, you know. Which is again, let's 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 beat that Western horse to death. Um, shady character sitting in the corner of the bar, you know. What do you know? Love it, love it, love it, love it. And it, it was just perfect because the way that scene was shot, you you notice her, and unfortunately for me, uh, and probably most people that watched this show, if you keep up on the and pay attention to the thumbnails of the Mandalorian, they changed it, and like two weeks ago, she was on the thumbnail, mm-hmm. and I was just like. Well, she's going to be a new character that has some time because they put her on the fucking thumbnail, you know? Yeah, well, I watched an interview of hers, um, like, I want to say Saturday or Sunday of last week, and it was her basically talking about her involvement in the show. And, you know, she talks about episode four is when she shows up, and then she, she does confirm that her character has more involvement in the series moving forward, so... You know, half-ass spoiler alert like that, but like we knew going into this series that Gina Carano's character was going to be involved, and um, you know that the IG Eleven were more than likely going to see another IG unit moving forward, um, just because of all of the all the promotional material that we've seen uh, of basically that trio. By the way, I want to mention a, a total sidebar to Star Wars right now, Tyler. 
this is how good I am. While you were just talking about that, and uh, we were diving into that for a second, I had to change mic cables because my mic cable just shit out on me mm, live on the podcast. So new mic cable, less mic problems. Awesome. No one would have ever known if I didn't say anything, but I thought it was kind of impressive because I had to walk yeah. across the room, change shit it. out. Yeah, it was good. I can walk and chew bubble gum at the same time. <laughs> you know, you know, I'm, you can walk and breathe at the same time. Most of our species can't do that. <laughs> Correct. Womp womp. Womp womp womp. Uh, but <laughs> one thing I was going to say back to it is like, uh, he gets the child the bone broth, and everything is like. Uh, moving in this specific direction where you know that they are on a collision fucking course, right? And it was perfect because it's like, get the bone broth for the child, and then the camera pans back, and that chick is gone. She uh, gone. She gone. She she is not in anywhere to be found. Uh, and Mando's like, well... Got to get back into work mode. No rest for the wicked. Again, stay here with the bone broth. I'll be right back. He goes. Watch, watch the kid. And he tells the yeah, he tells the waitress, watch the kid and gives her money. Oh, that's important to note, too. He asked her earlier what that chick's business was. Mm-hmm. And then kept trying to tip her with money. Just like, here, fucking take this. Take this. I'm going to just fling coin at you until you give me what I want. Just answer the fucking question, lady. Spoiler alert, she really doesn't answer the question. He goes and tracks the footprints, which I loved that kind of like predator-esque moment with the oh, yeah. with the infrared. And then there's a duel that actually ended really kind of awesome. Yeah, that, I, I really, really enjoyed the fight scene. One thing that I loved about Gina Carano's casting is, you know, she's an accomplished MMA fighter. You know, she studied many different forms of martial arts. She's doing her own stunts. And that interview that I watched on Saturday, she kind of talks about how the directors of the series really allowed her to, um, you know, basically be herself. So, you know, she talks about how, you know, doing like fight scenes with people, like it takes a lot for her to have to pull a punch. Yeah. Because it's, it's just so ingrained in her mind, like... Okay, I'm gonna put your lights out now, you know, because we're fighting. Um, but I, I, I really, I really like her as an actress, and I, I'm really glad that they chose her because um, there's there's a lot worse people that they could have picked for this character. No, you're absolutely right, and uh, I also think she just had. There's something about Gina Carano's look; it has a very authentic Star Wars vibe to it. I know that maybe doesn't make sense to some people, but I just feel peop- there are certain face types not even necessarily body type or anything just like how her face physically looks it, it it's meant for star wars i don't know how to explain it. it's like i feel like i've seen her character in a hundred different little like scenes during all mm-hmm. the star wars video games i've ever played just like a version of that person but you know it's not really obviously her yeah uh, totally, totally but i agree. Lo- I loved how this fight scene ended, though, because they, you know, they're scrumming and dueling and back and forth thing, and then they both end up on the ground, and she pulls her blaster, he pulls his blaster, and they're pointing blasters at each other's heads. And here's the moment of absolute genius comic levity. We go to the horizontal pan shot, and the child is sitting there drinking the bone broth, just staring at him. Just slurping it. That lady did a fantastic job of watching the child. Mm Mm-hmm. 
That he child gone. did a fantastic job of listening again. <laughs> he gone. <laughs> he gone again. Oh man. That, See, that yeah, little boy done gone. I mean, they uh, you know, they have a little bit of dialogue exchange and basically they just go their separate ways, like, All right, um, you know, this is kind of your hideout. I respect that. Uh we'll find somewhere else. And the Mandalorians back at the Razor's Crest with with little baby, what what do what do we want to nickname him so we don't have to say the child or baby Yoda every time? I want to say baby something. Hmm. Damn. I don't know. I was gonna call him little pointy. Little pointy. All right. Yeah, I like little it. Pointy. He got them little pointy ears. I'm gonna call him Gizmo because he looks like Gizmo from the Gremlins. Okay, let's call him Gizmo. I'm into that. Green Gizmo, little Gizmo. Yep, little Gizmo, baby Gizmo. <laughs> I dig it. So, so the Mando and 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 little Gizmo. Um, <laughs> God, we're pathetic. They are. Uh, they're they're back at the Razor Crest trying to get stuff fixed, and you see this like cart, which is almost like the the little droid speeder cart that we talked about in episode three. Um, Come cruising up with some some dudes who look like they are one hundred percent out of their element. Um, you know, it's another another Western trope. We're the farmers, the bandits are here. Please, please take our money. It's all that we have. The whole village chipped in. You know, for this like eight dollars that we have. Um, and he's like, "Fuck no, I ain't doing it." And then they say they say the perfect word. It's in the mi- or the perfect phrase. It's in the middle of nowhere, and that immediately piques his interest. Um, and just like the Ghostbusters, he knows who to call. <laughs> yeah, he's about tree fifty short. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, he's like, okay, uh, I gotta talk to. I don't think we learn her name until like much later but i'm gonna say it now because it just makes it easier instead of saying the lady i guess mm-hmm. cara dune yep we i don't and, think we i don't think we get her name drop until the village um until they arrive in the village correct so he goes back to her and he's essentially plotting out the idea of what has happened what is happening he wants to see if she'll enlist their help seems like something they should be able to handle um, the Clatoonians are, you know, they don't really, I don't think he knows they're Clatoonians, but he knows that there's some species that's fucking with this tribe, and he's just mm-hmm. like, I think we can take care of it. We're, you know, kind of badass. And we and get a place like, to hide out because of it. Yeah, and she's like, for lunch money, though. Like, this is about tree fitty. Like, <laughs> it's not very much money, you know? Like, what the fuck? And he's like, but seriously, Sanctuary? Like, let's, what are you doing? This is... What we need. We need a place to lay low. This is a place to lay low. I'm, I'm helping. I'm being helpful. Right. And uh, and let's not forget that she, the Cara Dune had actually assumed that Mando had a bounty on her. Mm-hmm. Because she, she she's was a an former ex- shock trooper. Yeah, ex-Republic shock trooper. So, uh, essentially she's like, okay, begrudgingly, fine, let's do it. And they go to kind of scope out, like, what they're getting into. And it's a lot worse than I think they realize. Yep. Uh, it's, it's all, it's all, it's farmers and children. And I mean, you know, obviously little Gizmo, 
little pointy fucking he's like oh shit this is cool yeah. there are people who are my size here mm-hmm. <laughs> and and actually some that are a little bit you know tiny or whatever but like so i loved that moment of like all of a sudden this village is like these guys are coming to save us yay so now they've got all this pressure on their back it's like not only were you called to do the task now you have the pressure and expectation of performing and actually saving everybody. Mm-hmm. Which, one thing, you know, one, doesn't One thing that, that I really did appreciate is I really liked um, the Widow's character. I really, really dug um, in this episode. She was the basically the first person that we saw when the episode opened up. Um and and all the just all the little like the nuanced scenes of Lil Gizmo playing with the other kids and you know um, the scene where he eats the frog and spits it back out that really got me. But like the widow and um, the Mandalorian's interactions, I think uh, they're subtle enough that most people don't pick up on it. But like I think it's incredibly impactful and meaningful on the series moving forward that. Like she, there's the whole exchange of how long has it been since you took your helmet off, and he said I was yesterday. About their age. Oh well, yeah, he does for, say yesterday. That's right. Yeah, and then I mean, because obviously he can't eat through his helmet, you know. Um, <laughs> and she's like, "Well, how long has it been since you took your helmet off in front of someone else? Since I was a kid, you know." And th- like that—that that is incredibly meaningful, especially with those two characters' relationship and kind of how that relationship develops through the series. But Skylar and, I, Skylar and Ruby and I all watched it together this morning, and we were watching that scene play out, and she leaves the room. She left him some food and some drink, and he's staring at the kids playing basically outside of his bedroom window, and it, it's kind of like uh, the last episode when he was laying on top of the material cart with Baby Gizmo. Um, you can't see his facial expression, but you can see, like, watching those kids play and be happy is making him happy, but it's also emotionally crushing to him because he's remember he's remembering his childhood and how his parents were taken away, and then we see him take his helmet off. He's yeah. he he is in view of other people. They're just not looking directly at him, and he takes his fucking helmet off, and that is incredibly meaningful. Like, don't sleep on that because that means something. Well, and I think that it comes back to Mando's laurels and, like, he, you said it best, like, he watched his parents die and shit and had a shitty childhood. He did not have a peaceful, happy, prosperous childhood like he's watching Mm -hmm. uh, Lil Gizmo and these kids in this village, Wispa being one of them, have. And it's like freeing to him. He's like, "Oh shit, this could be the life. This is right. like maybe." And I think that scares him a little bit. So obviously, he is ultra vulnerable in taking his helmet off, and it shows this moment of like him almost wanting to connect back to those children and just take that moment in as like, "This is what I never got, mm-hmm. and I'm gonna experience that happiness through my own eyes and not through the lens of the Mando." And uh, and then he. Uh, <laughs> kind of second guesses himself cuz he doesn't want to stay. He mm-hmm. uh he 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 wants to, I think he wants to stay and we're going to talk about this in a minute cuz we got to get to the other parts but he also doesn't want to stay because he realizes well, if he does he's giving it all up. Everything that he is. 
Well, and I think he, he I, I think he knows that he wants to stay, but he knows that he can't because it puts all it puts this community of peace and happiness 100% in jeopardy every moment that he spends there. Yeah, because he betrayed the guild and there's probably bounties on his head now. Mm-hmm. So going forward, we get uh, basically a, a battle plan where the Mandalo and uh, Cara Dune are going to attack the Clatoonians encampment. They're going to draw them out. They're going to bring them back to uh, the village where all the villagers are trained and, and lying in wait after a montage. And we get to see uh, kind of the, you know, like the big bad of the episode is uh, the Clatoonians have an ATST, and that's bad juju for just two people on foot. Uh, yeah. The Clatoonians have an ATST that looks fucking murderous. Jesus. It's been through the shit. It looks bad. I mean, it's also got the fucking red glowing cabin. There's just a, a daunting feeling when you look at it you're just like whoa yeah it looks like a uh you know like a monster i think i think that's how it's kind of done up to look like like it's supposed to intimidate and make you afraid um because it's a it's a literal fucking monster basically you know yeah uh the 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 mandalorian and cara dune decide after their little reconnaissance mission that uh these guys lied to them and they're not really thrilled about that. And then they realize in order to even do this, they're going to need more soldiers. Mm-hmm. And in needing more soldiers, they don't have more soldiers. Well, that's pretty much the end of the ball game, folks. Like, we can't help you because you can't even help yourselves in this moment. And then they're like, the lady, the fucking widow is like, we're not leaving. And that was a holy shit moment for me because she was like, I don't fucking care. Stand in my ground, and no one's going to stop me. You going to do it. You going to do it, and you going to die trying. And, and and they're like, okay. Mandalorian's like, all right. I, I If they're trained by us, I think that, that we can do this. And uh, I talked about this a little bit earlier. This is one of the times in the episode that was kind of weird for me because I don't know if this is a montage of several days they're supposedly supposed to have been learning, mm-hmm. if this is one hour of time, like, if this is fucking all day. Like, they don't make it clear enough to me, which makes it hard to know how experienced were these people. Was it a couple right. weeks? Was it a couple hours? Was it a couple days? Like, and not to say that they really did anything impactful that, like, their training gave them. Uh, but they weren't able to hold their ground, which I think is impactful enough. But the battle plan is basically everybody hang out behind barricades, kill the Clatoonians as they enter kind of the killing field, and dig a big pit for the ATST to fall in. And, um, I mean, I, I won't bore, any, bore anybody with, like, breakdown of scene by scene, you know, who shoots who with a blaster, but, um, like... You can see, like in the in the setup of the the the, the climactic end of the episode. <clears throat> excuse me, Cara Dune is like incredibly intimidated by this ATST. You know, you've got like some almost PTSD stuff going on, where you know she's she's seen some shit. She's seen what one of these things can do. And, um, you know, she wants no part of, of it, but moving forward, they do it anyway. Uh, the, the little, um, 
like sabotage mission uh, goes down just fine. They get back. Um, the ATST chases them through uh, the woods, and you know, um, AP or somebody asked this morning, like, does that make you feel like it's Jurassic Park kind of thing? You know, with the ATST, <laughs> like the T Rex, which I really appreciated. That's um, awesome. But like, s- some things uh, kind of hold the plan up because the ATST walks to the edge of the pit and it ain't moving. It almost senses that something is uh, a foul. Mm-hmm. And they also are smart enough that they are like, well, what are we walking into? Obviously they brought us here. Why are they bringing us here? So they kick the spotlight on and just start eyeing motherfuckers, figuring out what is going on in this battlefield. So it's not like they're being ambushed in the dark. Mm-hmm. And that makes it even more difficult and they're like, oh, we don't want to step in this water. We're just going to wait it out. And then uh, another moment of heroism, Kara decides to draw its fire and draw its attention to try to pull it closer in and eventually into this trap. Yeah, I really, I really, really liked that scene because, you know, she asks uh, the Mandalorian for his pulse rifle, which we've only seen that weapon twice in the entire Star Wars existence. Um Boba Fett and the original Holiday Special and then the Mandalorian, they're the only two that have ever used one. Um, and she's like, you gotta give it to me. And he begrudgingly gives it to her and she just straight, like, Mel Gibson and the Patriot just bayonet fucking charges this, uh, this ATST and just keeps shooting it from underneath. And she finally baits it into stepping into the pit and, you know, we've got Heroic scene after heroic scene, the Mandalorian charges the fucking thing with a de- uh, demolition charge and chucks it oh, in yeah. there. You know, um, really, really powerful stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was uh, that scene was awesome because it's like it kind of. I mean, low key, the reason we extra loved it, it gives you total indoor feels mm-hmm. without it being indoor because it's a foresty planet scene or whatever, while it's also being its own unique thing. And also the Ewoks were kind of these helpless characters that couldn't really defend themselves, even though they could. Right. Uh, So, like you were saying, you know, heroic scene after heroic scene in this, you have um, them ultimately take down the Clatoonians, the ATST falls, and everything seems right again. And there's this piece. Mm-hmm. And the pieces overcoming the village and things are again looking nice. And the Mandalorian, as we had discussed earlier, makes the ultimate decision. And you said it best. He knows he is a, a liability to this village. I can't stay. But he's gonna. And I was like, no, don't break him up. Come on, Blue. Come on, man. You gotta keep these guys rolling together, man. You can't do that to me. Yeah, little baby Gizmo. Um, you know he he'll be safe and happy here, so I gotta leave him. I gotta leave him behind. I was just like really crushed. I was like, I can't believe they're gonna fucking do that. Skylar, 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 and Ruby were both pissed. Oh yeah, yeah. Cause baby Gizmo, uh, little baby Yoda, has stolen the show for my wife and my kid. That's all they want to see. <laughs> That's adorable. Uh, so he, he's, um, he talks to Gina Carano. She essentially says, uh, to Cara Dune, my fault. And she essentially says, like, what do you have to do? Or what happens if you take the helmet off? And he's like, well, then I'm out. 
and she's like, that's it. Then you can just lay low, have this chick that's all into you, live this peaceful ass life. He's happy. You're happy. Like, what's up? And she kind of presses him like, what about your happiness? And he's like, it's not about that. I got to protect the kid. And he's about to dip out of town and he's, you know, saying his goodbyes and stuff. And then we get this really intense fucking scene from the woods Mm -hmm. where someone else is watching and someone has a fob. Oh, man. Ugh. Back to it again. We can't escape. My dick got so fucking hard. (laughs) <laughs> During that, that like bounty hunter walking through the woods scene, because it's like, okay, he's got this tracking fob. Is the tracking fob for the Mandalorian or for the kid? I think it's not 100% certain because how the scene plays out is the bounty hunter has a sniper rifle, the scope is trained on the kid. He's going to take, he's going to take baby Gizmo out. He's about to be donezo. And yet Head again, sh- I'm like, no, 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 baby yeah. Gizmo. And, because I think it's 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 muddy waters here. Is he killing the kid? Because that's part of the bounty. Kill the kid, kill the Mandalorian, take them both out. Or kill the kid to make the Mandalorian hurt and then kill him kind of thing. And then you know return what I mean? the body of the kid back yep. to the fucking Empire and score both bounties. Exactly. So um, just like in the first episode, you know, you're looking at the scope. You're looking at little gizmo. Shot rings out. You don't know what the hell happens. They panned the the animals flying up. I don't want to call them birds because I'm not sure if they're supposed to be birds, bird-like creatures. But so it's like this implied, and then he's like, "Go watch the kids to the widow," and he takes off into the forest. And I was like, "Oh my god, they fucking shot Baby Yoda! This is stupid as shit!" Like mm-hmm. I'm done. Canceled the fucking Disney Plus. It's over. And then no. Cara Dune was watching the Mandalorians back. And I don't know why she was out there. I don't know what her purpose being out there is. I don't know how she tracked dude out there. She's good or whatever. But she saved him. She took this other dude out. And that's when the Mandalorian realizes the real truth. And this is... It's not just him that can't stay on this planet. Neither can our little gizmo. Mm-hmm. Because Be- the Mandalorian's the only one that can truly keep him safe, and every place they go is going to put everyone that is where they are in absolute danger because there are bounties. Because this is an unresolved thing. Exactly. And that leads me to my next thought: Werner Herzog. I think is a bigger slice of the pie. I don't think he's top dog. I think maybe next episode we get a little of that, like understanding. A part of that story because I think all roads lead back to the Mandalorian going to the Empire and ultimately stopping the bounty. Mm-hmm. Nothing ends until the bounty is gone. And how do you do that? You have to take out whoever put the bounty out in the first place. I'm going to quote um, one of my favorite TV shows ever, uh, Spartacus. You know, how do we win? We kill them all. Yes, absolutely. And I mean, how awesome and justifiable would it be of the Mandalorian to be taking out like the final tendrils of what was the Empire? Mm-hmm. Before the, the First Order kind of be- becomes itself? Yes. Absolutely. I dig it. Totally dig it. Man. So, yeah, ultimately this is another great episode. Um, I like I did give the minor critiques on the things that I think they could have done better. But the scene shots and everything, I loved all that. Uh, baby, baby, little Gizmo, 
walking with the Mandalorian is like one of the cutest sequences ever. Mm-hmm. So I'm a, I'm a huge fan of this episode. I cannot wait to see where we go. We're halfway through this already, dude. I can't believe it. It makes me sad. Yeah, but come on, man. We're going to get uh, a Cassian Endor story. We're going to get a Obi-Wan story like this. Like, this is just the tip of the dick, baby. They don't have a badass helmet with a jetpack and a flamethrower. No, but that's what I'm saying, too, though. You're going to get another season of this shit, man. But I'm saying they are going to keep providing us A-plus Star Wars, and we haven't even talked about this yet. It seems highly likely that Jon Favreau is going to play a way more key role in all of this. I hope than, so. Than, than previously stated and might actually be the successor, who knows, to uh, Kathleen Kennedy. I Man, mean, I hope seems, so. I mean, literally, here's one thing. It was the best, most well-said line of text I have read about Star Wars and The Mandalorian since it's come, in, since it's come out. And it was this. The Mandalorian has become the ultimate unifier for all Star Wars fans. Yes. People that didn't like The Last Jedi love The Mandalorian. People that love The Last Jedi love The Mandalorian. People that hated Solo love The Mandalorian. People that loved Rogue One love The Mandalorian. I mean, across the board. So if Jon Favreau can single-handedly do that through a show that only gives you 30 to 39 minutes of content an episode, you know, we literally have only had two hours of the story at this point. Mm Mm-hmm out of a four-hour story that they're essentially giving us this first year, uh, he has to be the guy to make the decisions to make things right because his vision is great. Yes. And I've... I've I mean, like, all... all- all fans of Star Wars, Marvel, Disney, I don't I don't care what fan base you are, like don't sleep on John Favreau. Like Favreau is Favreau's doing it the way that it should be done right now. Totally. And using a good quality mix of practical effects with some CGI and knowing when CGI is a more necessary play versus using practical effect like all those little attention to detail things with uh, how the story unfolds. Like, he has got a narrative here that is captivating. We all want to know how this story ends and where this story goes and what does Baby Yoda play into the future? Is that going to be some sort of uh, thing we learn about that Baby Yoda, say, still exists in, uh, in the current verse that we're in? And when we get to Rise of Skywalker, there's some ultimate truth that, you know, the Jedi have ascended to a higher council, but there's uh, there are others, and there's going to be a new wave of all this craziness, and just it's a cycle that always happens or some shit. I don't know. I'm just riffing on the possibilities. Right. I love it, man. I I can't get enough. I wish I could. I wish I could watch the rest of the season right now. It's all I want. It's all I want to watch. I agree a hundred percent. But I also love that they kind of make us wait. It gives you something to uh, get hyped for. You just you kind of itch for it. You're like, oh my god, I need, I need it, I need it, I need it, I need it so bad um, that when you get to it, you're just like, like I sat down this morning, and I'm sure just like you did, I put it on, and I was immediately in the right space. Yep. Like I didn't eat, I didn't do nothing. I was just watching this show. Like, yep, I'm all about it. That makes me feel like a kid again. Right. That it's more. I would just. It's. 
I, I crave to watch it. It's not like The Flash or these other shows that I enjoy watching, but it's like, oh, cool, next Tuesday, going to have something to do. It's like Friday morning, I need my Star Wars, or I'm going to hurt somebody. Right. <laughs> if punch I could in the put, balls. If I could put this show in a spoon and heat it up and put it in my body, I would. Just want to say that. Ooh, spoon, spoon and Star Wars into your gullet. Mm-hmm. Hell yeah, man! Like it's hot like... Robitussin. Ooh, hot <laughs> Robitussin that turns the stomach. Oh shit! Well, bro, I th- I can't believe we did it in such a timely manner, but we've we've arrived. Um, we we got our p's and q's in line today. Well, I think it's that post turkey day hangover. We're just like we have to stay focused or we will die. Mm-hmm. Time is of the essence. Indeed. Leftovers await. Or the toilet. <laughs> or both. Or a nap. Or both. Or all three. But hopefully I don't take a nap on the toilet while eating leftovers. With an exercise ball. That's 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 called taking an Elvis and I would die. <laughs> Anyways, folks. Before we get out of here, let's close on you guys can check out the Journey Into Comics podcast at journeyintocomics.com. Also, get us on Apple Music, Podbean, Stitcher Radio, Google Play Music, Spotify, CastBox, TuneIn, and many others. Just search Journey Into Comics Network, one feed. It's all you'll need every single day of the week, dropping content on your spicy little booties. Folks, I want to thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode. Tyler, did you have any final thoughts before we depart? Uh, no, I think I think we got it all. All right, my friend. Well, if that's going to do it for this week's episode of Journey into Comics, Journey into Comics 272, I've been Nate. I've been Tyler. As always, pop your caps back and fill your brains with shit. Later, guys.